Um, my name is Ellen Morris Bond. I know many of you and I have known you for many years. Um, I run Self Help Incorporated here in town. And there are people here who've been very involved with self-help. Joyce Nichols and the Premax daughter was our intern for under, just under a year. Wonderful person. And um, Anne and Wade have been involved. Um, it's been a great pleasure to have all these wonderful people involved. And I talked today, this is probably my last um, December to speak to the forum because I'm retiring in September 2018. I will be Medicare age. <laughs> and so I just wanted to take an opportunity, first of all, to thank this congregation because every December you've been incredibly generous um, you've dedicated your your offerings, you've had a luncheon, um, you've invited me to speak, and um, it's a great honor and wonderful. And I also wanted to take a moment to talk about the subject matter, the theme for the month, which is hope. And it's sort of a conundrum at this moment, um, sort of an irony that we are considering the issue of hope. But when I look at the history of self-help back to 1969, I see an idealism which is so important to hope remaining. We cannot lose our idealism. Um, I think it's easy to in these times when People surprise us with their behaviors, and people in high places are acting in odd ways. But it's the people who have resisted. It's the people who have remained resilient in the face of really difficult odds who have made a real difference in our world. And I wanted to go back to talk about a person. She was the first director of self-help. She's here in her sari. Her name was Devi Raju. Did anybody here know her? Joyce knew her. Her husband's name was Raju Raju, and he was a mathematician at Lanel. She, um, I was reading a little bit of her history, and she was one of the first women due to the encouragement of her parents, who got an education in India. This was in the 40s. Um, she actually ended up getting four degrees, including a law degree. And she was imprisoned as a political prisoner merely for getting an education. That was just not done. And women of her class in India were subject to, um, I think it's called, Perda, it's not going out in public at all. Um, and getting an education was just absolutely a revolutionary act. And I think we need to continue to do revolutionary acts or we will lose hope. So she, um, she was the first woman in India to receive her law degree. And as years went by, her husband and... She and her husband moved to Los Alamos. 
And um, she saw this job opening at Self-Help Incorporated and what became the first director. And these, there are these amazing stories about her. She was so concerned with the poverty in northern New Mexico, she would actually, she wasn't driving at the time, but she would get someone to drive her into northern New Mexico, and she would take on legal cases involving water rights, property um, property being taken away due to people unable to pay property taxes. She was very much an advocate for northern New Mexico. And under her direction, uh, self-help had an adobe-making machine. Um, things were built. Uh, we had a seed money program which gave out agricultural tools, seeds, and really helped to foster the agricultural economy of northern New Mexico. And so that was 1969 into the 70s, and we've had another really significant person, Joyce Pyburn. Do some of you know her? Joyce knows her. (laughs) Um, Or she passed away actually last year, but... um, She had a vision, too, for self-help being a social justice organization. She was very outspoken and um, created an organization that really flourished. So she was there for many years. Um, In the year 2000, I was working at Los Alamos Family Council, very part-time, as a caseworker, and... One of Joyce's clients called me up and said, you know, that lady's really busy. Do you think you could go over and help her? And so I remember arriving at her door with my resume and saying, Would you, could you use a part-time person? So I ended up working there every Wednesday for a couple years. Then the Cerro Grande fire happened, and... My goodness, it was a baptism of fire, for sure, for me, because I never really had an experience of being up close to a disaster. And all my training in grief and loss, um, all my background really came into focus for this because I was asked to ride one of the school buses with the National Guard as people came back to Los Alamos to see their properties after the fire. And it was quite dramatic, quite traumatic for some people. We then received about a half a million dollar grant from Lanel Foundation to provide sort of a bridge, uh, a grant, a cash grant, to each family who had lost their home in the fire. And we met the most amazing people. We met foreign nationals who were just renting a little apartment, and they brought all their stuff from, say, Russia or um, China. And um, they lost everything. They didn't exactly know what the next step was. They'd never been through a disaster, and they weren't aware of how the United States would deal with that. So 
we were able to help people in the transition before FEMA and other insurance and other mechanisms took hold in Los Alamos. So that was my first year at self-help, and it was very, very intense. Um, I would say that the assistance to these families, and I'm sure there's people here who were affected by the fire. Was anybody directly? Rick, yes, your house. Um, it went on for a year or two, the, the follow-up and helping people sort of readjust and deal with insurance companies and that sort of thing. And if you have any comments, questions during this, please speak up because I'm, I'm just sort of going down memory lane here with all the things self-help has been as far as my involvement. Um, I thought I would tell a few stories of clients that I think are particularly significant because they show a kind of resilience that when people have lost hope, they need to bring their resilience to the fore. Um, there is a young man up north who, through a series of events, became a single father of a three-month-old child. Um, he's a, he has given me permission to tell his story. I'm changing his name. But he said, no, if it helps people, please tell my story. So he was working. He did not have a car. He had this little tiny baby boy, Mikey. And the Children, Youth, and Families called our office and said, is there anything you can do for this guy? He's riding around on a bicycle with this little baby on his back. He drops the baby at daycare, and then he goes to the restaurant where he works, and on it goes every day. And it was cold out at the time. So <clears throat> I talked to him. We assessed his situation, and miraculously, we had a little car that someone had donated, and that was the first thing we were able to do for him. He came up to Los Alamos with the caseworker from Children, Youth, and Families. Someone else had bought a car seat, brand-new car seat, and we had this little 93 Toyota Corolla ready for him. And he cried. He was, he was so amazed that somebody cared. Um, he'd been through a lot of things. So I, I still... Um, I'm amazed at him because he does work still two jobs. He is the primary caregiver of this little kid. And um, in the middle of it all, he broke his hand at the, one of the re restaurants he worked at, so he couldn't work. So he called me again and said, Is there any program, are there any programs for rent? So we were able to step in and pay his rent through a few organizations. Um, and today, he's doing well. Um, I saw a picture. He sent me a picture of the baby who is now almost one. And uh, things are going well. Um, another story. Um, one day, a woman pulled up 
to my office. Now, I have lost track of this woman, so I am totally changing the details to protect her privacy. But she was living in her car. She was eight months pregnant. Um, She actually had her cat in the car, too. And she had lost her home due to domestic violence, but there had never been any proper intervention where she went to a shelter or got counseling. And so she arrived at my office on a winter day, and I said, well, what do you feel like your priority is? And she just said, I need everything. I just, I need to start over. So... Los Alamos is very generous, and I was able to obtain furniture. Uh, after an apartment, we got a furniture, baby clothing, um, and, and helped her prepare for the birth of the baby. Um, got her on food stamps, got her some health insurance, and um, so... I've lost track of her. I I don't know how she's doing, though. Um, Another um, person who was in our world was someone who had serious mental illness, and she had been homeless on and off um, due to her mental illness. And... One of the thrusts of self-help recently has been getting people connected up with mental health care, preventing suicide, getting people into substance abuse treatment. And this person indeed was self-medicating with alcohol and um, some other things. And so she was able to go to 90 days of treatment. Um, When she came out again... um, Again, we were able to find her in an apartment. This one was in Española. And she was able to sort of start her life again. And I found out afterwards, she told me, you know, I have a degree. I used to be a teacher, and just one thing led to the next, and I, my life fell apart. So, you know, that subject of hope, as it relates to resilience, seems to me to be a very important factor. Um, Comments? Questions? So I, um, again, want to thank you all. And I just want to read the end of a poem It's actually a song, but it was written by um, a woman named Mercedes Sosa, and she was part of the resistance in Argentina when things were just really crazy. We have no idea what real oppression looks like, but she says, and this is a translation from the Spanish, thanks to life, which has given me so much, it gives me laughter, and it gave me tears. And I, when I distinguish happiness from pain, the two sentiments that make my song, and your song as well, which is the same song and everyone's song, which is my very song. And it's, it's just a beautiful piece of music. So... 
questions? Dick? So the program I spoke of where we gave seeds and agricultural tools to people has continued, although I must admit in the last two years we haven't given out a grant, but we do have the funds. We've um, been requested to send applications out, but people have not come back with a, with a completed application. Um, these days, we have been using the seed money for um, things like, well, an example is a woman who's at our farmer's market um, who makes this wonderful bread, uh, flat bread. She started out making bread in her kitchen in Taos. She had a success there, and then we were able to help her purchase a big mixing bowl. Um, and she's now at all the farmer's markets. I still know her. And so those are the types of seed money grants we give out these days and hope to continue. So, so um, I have a question about the social justice piece. Um, I want to know what is the probably the biggest need, obviously financially, we're always going to be supporting self-help. But what are the biggest social justice type needs that you're seeing now? Well, I'm concerned it's about to get really dramatically um, to become an issue. Health care and basic needs will really become issues at this moment. Medicaid's still intact. Um, SNAP or food stamps are still intact. Um, but there is a lot of talk with the new legislation and the new tax bill of gutting the very programs that I refer people to every day. And it is distressing and disturbing. So I think the most important thing we can do is resist and speak up. Um, when we see programs being changed and gutted and diverted to other things. Um, you know, this, this news has just happened in the last few days of what, what really might be coming. And so I'm still coming to terms with it and trying to see when I retire, can I become more of an activist? Because nonprofit directors have certain limitations. So... I think being active and vocal and communicating with your politicians is important. Yes, Mary. About, her question was how many families in Los Alamos? And I would say in a 2017 I would say t between 200 and 220, somewhere in there, families in Los Alamos. <coughs> um, any other? Okay, one second, one second, Dick. Um, the catchment area currently is 
Los Alamos, Taos, Rio Riba, Northern Santa Fe County, and with our 211 program, which is our information referral project, um, it also takes in Mora and San Miguel County. So that's six total counties. Um, Dick. What sort of assistance <coughs> are the 200 plus Los Alamos people getting? <clears throat> well, I can give you an example that happened three months ago. A woman and her two children had been desperate to move out of a household that was pretty scary and abusive, and, but they didn't feel they could do it financially. And finally, the teenage daughter said, you know, Mom, we just have to move. We have to get out of this situation. So we actually paid for Delancey Street to move them and um, got a couple different organizations to help with the initial rental cost. And so I feel they are now stabilized. Uh, there's enough income coming into the home. Another thing we sometimes do is job searches. But she had something in the pipeline that was coming to her, a good job. So that was able to stabilize the family. And I see that as our role, is stepping in when things are kind of unstable and hopeless and giving some hope, helping people see their strengths, and... Um, helping them see that they can move beyond their difficulties. So, yes? How is your organization funded? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, <clears throat> United Way is a big funder, and the fact that we have a free office in the Bethlehem Lutheran Church, they also give us about 1200 a month donation. Um, those are important. But this was the first year two of our funders did not fund. And somebody said to me, you shouldn't have mentioned you were retiring because it's discouraging to funders. They think you're going to close, but that's not the case. Um, so there were grants of $18,000 total I applied for that we did not get, and I was surprised because these are funders we've had for years and years. So um, the other thing is churches. There's a church that pays for our cell phone. There's a church that sends, you know, $25 a month, but that pays for postage stamps and different things. Um, and then the private individuals who um, make their uh, charitable donations to us. Now, I see that that may change in the coming years. The charitable donations may not be as plentiful because there's probably not a tax write-off unless you have particular circumstances. So it's sort of a mosaic of funding, and the blessing is we have an office. You know, we without rent, Without utility payments, the only thing we pay for is internet and uh, the phone bill. So there are lots of strengths in the organization. I, we've done a couple fundraisers with Pig and Fig in 2017, which have been very successful. They sold out. 
Um, we used to do the empty bowl, but it became too big for us. So maybe somebody will want to pick that up. So thank you for the question. I just wanted to say something. Um, the reason that we hand the mic around when you ask your questions is that we are recording this. It will go on our web page. Also, if you don't have the mic, then people who are using assisted hearing can't hear what your question is, or the people back in the sound room, the cry room, can't hear what's being asked. So that's, that's the reason for handing the mic around. Yes. Do you have a replacement for yourself? <laughs> well, there are resumes floating around the office, but it's, in a way it's not up to me. Um, these are things boards of directors take care of. Uh, I have my ideas about it, but it's really not up to me. And when, I would say sometime around June, we hope to have somebody coming in, say, a day a week or every other week to train and come into the position. But we don't know who that is. I'd just like to say that Ellen is very involved in the transition plan. Um, <laughs> and, and so uh, feel, feel good about that. And we feel very good about that. Rosemary's on the board, by the way. And Terry will be. So these are all helpful and good things. I think a strong board of directors is important. And they take the leadership in these times. So. What role do you play or think you should play in letting the public know of the needs you cannot meet. So, I mean, that's a, an important way of uh, us uh, in the public being able to know how to react. What are the depths of need that are not being met responsibly either by the state or the federal government or in some other way? Well, I... Um I've thought about writing a series of articles either for the Rio Grande Sun and the Daily Post just about this to take a different subject each, um, each month, say, and just write about that. But we're in such a tumultuous time with the changes in the tax codes, health care, um, I, re I really think the public will need to be informed as all of this unfolds. And if people aren't getting their health care and housing needs met, there needs to be intervention. And we need to let the public know that, that you know, we're falling short in being able to provide that. But I would say those are two really key things, health care, food, and housing. And some of my colleagues at Los Alamos County in the housing, they say everything stems or grows from housing. If there's no housing, there's no stability, there's no place to cook a meal. Um, but I've known plenty of people who've lived in their car, unfortunately. Um, and 
that can be a stopgap for a week or so, but you know, we try to move people into housing. Yeah. Good morning. Morning. Uh, what happens to the uh, individuals that you cannot help that come to you and other social organizations and there simply is no money left or there's nothing to give them? What, what happens to them? I would say in my history or knowledge, there's never been a case of a lack of money. The people we cannot help for some reason resist the mechanisms that could help them. Um, we have dealt with some folks who are severely mentally ill and homeless, but their severe mental illness stops them from successfully transitioning, and they feel a little resentful of people like me and you know well-meaning social workers. Um, it can be... Um, there can be some resistance to getting help, but I've never known of a time except, that, except for the fact that we can't do ongoing month-by-month -month help. Um, then we do say no and refer on. But there's never been a time when we've actually run out of money. Although when self-help was started in 1969, it had a budget of like $1,500. One of the functions of self-help is to try to get people plugged into effective systems, whether that's employment, or um, disability payments, social security disability, that's a little more challenging and it takes time. There's something called the Section 8 housing program which provides, depending on your income, it pays 60% of your rent. So the, that's a program. We make sure they have health insurance. We make sure that they have enough food, especially for their children. And there are programs, WIC, for pregnant women, infants, and new moms, um, and then food stamps, that there's no reason except maybe the lack of a social security number that a person couldn't plug into those. Now, immigrants are becoming really left out of the system. It used to be that Medicaid had provisions for immigrants, but I'm seeing this trend uh, that um, immigrants are kind of being left out of the system. Refugees, on the other hand, have a few more resources. Um, in fact, Los Alamos has been doing amazing projects with refugees in Albuquerque. Um, but I would say, you know, immigrants are the ones that I could be more concerned about. Even if they have a, a job... Um, they're left out of a lot of the benefits and provisions. So your question is, what then, right? Um, that's the hardest part of my job, not being able to provide clear, a clear path for someone like that who is not able to plug into the system. So sometimes... 
say, a Mexican immigrant, sometimes they'll return home just giving up on the United States. Um, sometimes people end up in homeless shelters long term. So, anything else? Well, I thank you all so much, and thanks for the chari- charitable giving you do and the lunch. I will see you eating soup. (laughs) Thank you.